Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come now to open your word, we do pray that you would also open our hearts, that you would speak to us through the preaching of your word, that you would apply it to us. And may we respond with faith and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. you please open your Bibles to our sermon text, Zechariah chapter 4. You'll find this in your pew Bibles on page 794. Zechariah chapter 4. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become... A plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, his hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Does it sometimes seem to you that we live in a day of small things? A day when the world and its forces are on the offensive and the church is on the retreat. It's so easy to become a pessimistic Christian today. We look at our country and the culture that surrounds us And we see the growth of anti-Christian forces, whether it be LGBTQ activism, cultural Marxism, militant atheism, or any number of other movements today. It might seem like the best thing for the Christian to do would be to just hunker down and try to somehow ride out the coming storm. But then we open our Bibles and we look to the book of Zechariah and we see ourselves here, In these pages. 
For the exiles recently returned to Jerusalem were oppressed and discouraged. And far too many of them believed that they were living in a day of small things. A day when God wasn't going to do much in their midst. But as we'll see this morning, God rebuked them for their pessimism. They were not to despise the day of small things. And in fact, he was about to do mighty things in their midst. And not by human might, not by human power, but by his spirit. Perhaps we too are underestimating what the Lord will do in our day. And not by our strength, but by his spirit. And as we'll see this morning, his spirit works most of all through the proclamation of his word. It's so easy to miss this. As even Zechariah didn't understand it at first, although the angel expected him to. We underestimate the power of the word of God. But it is living and active and it is mighty, for it is through the word that the Spirit works. Let me remind you, the last time we were in Zechariah, we saw the vision of Joshua, the high priest. He was on trial before the Lord. And although he stood there in excrement-stained rags representing his sin, by the grace of God, his sin was taken away and he was dressed in pure festal clothing representing the righteousness of Christ given to him. This was an illustration of our justification through faith in Christ. Now, here after the restoration of the high priest Joshua, this week it's Zerubbabel's turn. Zerubbabel's turn. We know from the book of Ezra that Zerubbabel had led the exiles in their return from Babylon along with Joshua, the high priest. He was a grandson of King Jeconiah. And therefore, he's of the royal line of David. While he wasn't a king, he did serve as a governor of the province of Judah. And so he was the hands-on ruler of the people, although he was subject to King Darius of Persia. Along with the priests, Zerubbabel had rebuilt the altar. He had helped to lay the foundation of the temple of the Lord. And as we'll see in our passage this morning, the Lord had bigger plans in store for Zerubbabel. Joshua and Zerubbabel were two of the most important leaders among the returned exiles. And so they figure prominently in Zechariah's fourth and here the fifth vision. But just as important, if not even more important, were God's chosen prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. For they were the ones whom God had raised up to deliver his word to the people. And without The word of God. God's people could accomplish nothing. As we'll see this morning, it is as God works by his spirit and through his word that his temple will be rebuilt. And that's just as true today. Christ is building his temple, the church, and he works by his spirit and through his word. He's doing that even now as his word is being proclaimed. So we'll look at this passage this morning in three parts. First, Zechariah's vision of the lampstand and the two olive trees. Second, the Lord's message for Zerubbabel. And third, the two sons of oil, Haggai and Zechariah. So first, 
the vision of the lampstand and the olive trees. In verse 1, the, interpretive, the ter- interpreting angel returns to Zechariah since he was not present in the previous vision. His fifth vision, it marks the midway point in Zechariah's night visions. And at this point, the angel rouses Zechariah. It's not that Zechariah had fallen asleep because the rousing is described as like one who is awakened out of sleep. In other words, he rouses him to greater wakefulness to prepare him because this is going to be an important vision from the Lord. It also reminds us that Zechariah is not dreaming, but rather he's receiving visionary revelation from the Lord. Then in verses 2 and 3, the angel asks Zechariah to describe what he is seeing. And we're given a few further details in verse 12. So he says he sees a golden lampstand. It also often goes by the Hebrew word, menorah. In the Bible, a menorah usually has a tree-like shape with a central trunk and three branches on each side. And it holds seven lamps. But this lampstand was special because it also has a bowl on top, a reservoir, which provides a constant stream of oil to fuel the lamps around it. And we're not given all the details, but I think instead of seven lamps being in a row, perhaps they are arranged in a circle around the bowl, similar to a chandelier. The seven lamps around the bowl each have seven lips, and each lip would have its own wick and its own flame for a total of 49 lights, 49 lights radiating with light, making what can only be described as a sort of super menorah. And so, Zechariah's night is suddenly lit up by this beautiful lampstand and its blazing, never-wavering light. If you survey the whole passage, you'll notice there's no explicit interpretation given for the meaning of the lampstand. The closest thing we have is in verse 10 where we read, These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. In other words, the seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord. And as noted here, God's eyes see and know all things. But what more can we say? Most of the passage is focused on Zerubbabel and rebuilding the temple. And the most famous golden menorah was the one that stood in the tabernacle and later the temple. Looking back to Exodus, where the Lord gave the original plans for the lampstand, we see that it symbolized God's presence in the midst of his people. In an age when it was costly to light lamps at night, in God's temple, the light of the lampstand never went out. And that was a symbol, a symbol that God was always home. God was always present in the midst of his people. And here too, I believe this lampstand is a symbol of one of the major themes that we've been seeing run all throughout Zechariah's visions of God's gracious presence in the midst of his people, especially in the rebuilt temple. As you know, this imagery of God as the light of his people is picked up on in the New Testament by our Lord himself. He is the light shining in the darkness. He is the one who declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John eight twelve. Even as Christ shines upon us 
and fills his people with light, he also calls his church to be a city on a hill, shining the gospel light to all around us, that they might see our good works and praise our Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. And so as Christ's church is indwelt by his spirit and thus becomes the temple of God in the New Testament, it's appropriate that we find this imagery of a lampstand used as a symbol to represent individual churches in the book of Revelation. So, here in Zechariah, to summarize all this, we can say that this lampstand, it primarily represents God's presence in the midst of his people in the temple. But perhaps secondarily, it points forward to the coming of Christ, the coming of God himself in human flesh, who will make God's own people into a temple to be indwelled by God's Spirit. Then as Zechariah continues to describe the vision, we learn that flanking the lampstand on the left and the right, there are two olive trees. And we learn in verse 12, where Zechariah speaks of two branches and two golden pipes through which flowed the golden oil. It's implied that these two pipes connect the trees to the bowl to provide a never-ending supply of olive oil directly from the source in the olive trees to the lamps. Here we must remember this is a vision. Of course, in real life, olive trees don't produce purified olive oil, which drips right off the tree and then flows through a pipe. But the point is that Zechariah sees this glorious lampstand with seven lamps, and they have this never-ending supply of oil, which will never go, so that the lamps will never go out. And take your message is that God's presence will never depart from his people. Just as Christ said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This message depicted in the vision will soon be physically manifested in God's temple that is soon to be completed. So that brings us to part two, the Lord's message for Zerubbabel. To Zechariah, he sees these things, he's puzzled, he asks the angel to interpret all of it for him, and the angel responds in verse 5, do you not know what these are? As if he expects Zechariah to just see these things and understand them. Zechariah does not understand. So the angel responds with an oracle beginning in verse 6, which as we will see focuses on building the temple and interpreting primarily one element of the vision. The oil, which as we'll see, represents the Spirit of God. So we read in verse 6, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This word from the Lord is addressed to Zerubbabel, which as we said, he is the governor of Judah. In the following verses, we see it as a message about building the temple. Surely this was a great task. From a human perspective, it would require great resources, great might to move the large stone blocks, the huge timbers, and great leadership to coordinate it all. If Zerubbabel was to do this, might and power seemed to be the very things that he needed. The Lord says it's not by human might, not by human power, but by God's Spirit. 
This makes us think of Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand awake in vain. A vision of the lampstand constantly supplied with oil without any human intervention. It's a picture of God's Spirit supplying Zerubbabel with everything that he will need to to rebuild the temple. And the greatest resource of all is the Spirit of God himself. If we recall the building of the original tabernacle, there were Bezalel and Holiah. They were filled with the Spirit of God who enabled them to do the work, all the work that was needed for building the tabernacle. And so there's a parallel here in God's Spirit working to enable Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. Now it's true, strength would be used to lift the stones and the timbers and put them in place. Skill and wisdom would be used in crafting the furniture for the tabernacle, in adorning the temple in beauty. And so although humans would wield skill, strength, and wisdom under the leadership of Zerubbabel, the ultimate source of all these things was the Spirit of God. And so the key to success in the construction would be humble dependence on the Lord and His Spirit. And we continue in verse 7 where the Lord declares, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. This great mountain represents all the difficulties that Zerubbabel will face in building the temple. You can think of many difficulties that would face him. Certainly the task of building was a mountain all its own. You can add to this the external opposition which had shut down the project many years earlier. Then there's the risk of internal squabbling that could crop up among the people or simple apathy which would lead them to give up. And that's very likely if they see themselves as living in a day of small things. But Zechariah is promised that this mountain of difficulty will become level ground. It reminds us of the words of Isaiah 40 verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. We see one fulfillment of this prophecy in the book of Ezra. Just before our scripture reading in chapter 5, when the construction resumed, there was external opposition from Tatnai and his fellow governors. Tatnai was the governor of the province beyond the river, which was a larger region. It included the province of Judah. And so Tatnai, he posed a real threat. He didn't believe that they had royal permission to build. And so he writes to King Darius, expecting that this would put an end to the building. But a search was made. And the decree of King Cyrus, the former king, which had authorized the building of the temple from 20 years earlier, was found. Then King Darius actually issues a new decree to give further assistance to the Jews, both money for building and animals for sacrifices. Now, with this assistance in hand, the construction sped along to completion. It's a wonderful example of a mountain becoming a level plain before Zerubbabel. 
Verse 7 also says that when Zerubbabel brings forth the capstone, the top stone to complete the temple, the people will all be shouting, grace, grace. It will be clear to all that this was accomplished only by the grace of God. The rebuilt temple was not a demonstration of their good works, their gift to God, but rather a gift from God to them. It was all God's grace, a gift from God. So the Lord continues then in his word uh, to Zerubbabel in verse 8. And then in verse 9, we have an unequivocal confirmation that Zerubbabel will complete the work of rebuilding the temple. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall complete it. These prophecies from the Lord are confirmed in the book of Ezra. Zerubbabel leading the people to lay the foundation in chapter 3 and completing the work in chapter 6, as we read earlier. Now here it's worth taking just a moment to meditate on the way that God works through his servants. Although the building of the temple was not by might or by power, but by the Spirit of God, Although it was not the strength of Zerubbabel that was the determining factor. Rather, the temple was a gift from God. It's also true that Zerubbabel's hands truly did complete the temple. In other words, God, in one sense, built the temple, but he did so using means. Through the means of diligent work. The diligent work of his servant, Zerubbabel. Just because Zerubbabel received these promises that he would surely complete the temple and that the mountain of difficulties would become a plain before him. This didn't mean that he could just sit back and relax and wait for the temple to drop down out of heaven in front of him. He still actually had to do the work. God would strengthen and empower him to do this seemingly impossible task, but he still needed to exert himself And he needed to exert himself mightily. It's similar to what we saw a few weeks ago in Daniel chapter 9. When Daniel realized that God's prophecy regarding the 70 years was about to be fulfilled. That the exile would soon end. He didn't simply take it for granted and wait for the Lord to act. It drove him to pray all the more fervently that God would fulfill what he had promised. And this is how it works in so many areas of the Christian life. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. It's not God is working in you, therefore let go and let God do his thing. But rather, because God is working in you, therefore... Work. Work out your salvation. Work on your sanctification. Because God is holy, you also must be holy. And it's the same with building the church, the temple of God. Christ has promised that he will build his church. Therefore, we are also called to be at work. Because Christ is building. And we are tools in the hands of the master builder. So we must be busy about the work of building Christ's church. Verse 9 closes saying, Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. 
This prophecy would not be fulfilled for four more years. But then it would serve to confirm Zechariah as a true prophet sent by the Lord. For verse 10, I'm going to use an alternate translation, which will mostly follow the NASB. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the chosen stone in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. At this point in the building project, there were many who were pessimistic, seeing only a small foundation that was a pale reflection of the temple's former glory. In fact, we're told in Ezra 3.12 that when the foundation was first laid, there were some old men who wept aloud because the new foundation could not compare to the glory of Solomon's temple. That the Lord rebukes them for despising the day of small things. Every great endeavor begins with a first small step. And at heart, what are they doing? They are despising what the Lord is up to, what the Lord is doing. It's true that Israel is not the mighty kingdom that it was in Solomon's day. It had been whittled down to a mere remnant. And yet this is not because the Lord is not on his throne or because his plan had been thwarted in any way. Everything is falling out exactly as God himself had planned it. Well, perhaps the stones are not as grand or as polished as the ones used in Solomon's temple. This is the Lord's house. And the good news is that the Lord was dwelling in the midst of his people. Though some are discontent and grumbling, as verse 10 continues, we see that the seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord. And they are looking on and rejoicing over the work of Zerubbabel as he puts that chosen capstone in place to bring the temple to completion. And so we are not to despise the day of small things. But consider this. When we look at the earthly ministry of Jesus himself, if we look at it from a worldly perspective, it appears to be very small. He had only a dozen disciples, only three years of ministry. Though he often had crowds following him, sometimes large crowds, they were fickle. The Jewish leaders quickly turned the crowds against him. And before you know it, they were shouting, crucify him. The day Christ died on the cross may have been any old work day to the Roman soldiers, but at least one centurion looked on and was stunned and declared, truly, this man was the Son of God. After his death and resurrection, we are told there were only 120 followers who remained faithful on the day of Pentecost. But that day, 120 turned to 3,000 And the church continued to explode in growth from there until it reached to all the corners of the earth. From this day of small things comes the movement, or better, called the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, that has changed all of history. And so from a small mustard seed, a mighty tree grows. From a day of small things, wonderful things can come. So who are you to despise 
a day of small things. This brings us to part three, the two sons of oil. Verse 11, And I said to him, What are these two olive trees in the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time, I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones, or the two sons of oil, who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Here we see for the second time, the angel expects Zechariah to understand this. And only when he says that he doesn't does the angel explain the vision. Remember here, the golden oil represents the Holy Spirit, which empowered Zerubbabel for building the temple. A phrase which the ESV translates anointed ones is not the typical Hebrew word, Messiah, but rather a phrase which is literally translated sons of oil. Many scholars believe this referred to those anointed with oil, but this phrase is used elsewhere in the Bible to refer to a source of oil. And this better lines up with the imagery of the vision, as the olive trees and their branches are the source of oil for the lampstand. I think the reason the angel expects Zechariah to understand this is because even as Zechariah is prophesying the word of God, it is the Spirit who is filling him, putting the word of God into his mouth. That is to say... Zechariah and his fellow prophet Haggai are the two branches through whom the golden oil of the Spirit flows as they proclaim the word of God. This identification of the two olive trees with the prophets Haggai and Zechariah lines up with an allusion to this passage in Revelation 11, 3, and 4, where there are two prophets who are represented by two olive trees. This also helps to shed light on what we saw earlier in the passage concerning Zerubbabel. He will build the temple, not by human power or might, but by God's Spirit. And how will God's Spirit cause the temple to be rebuilt? We already spoke of the Spirit assisting Zerubbabel, giving wisdom and skill and strength to the workers. But essential to all of this was the proclamation of the Word of God, inspired by God's Spirit. Just before the temple's completion, as it was recorded in Ezra 6, we read, And the elders and the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, son of Iddo, Ezra 6, 14. And in fact, we know that they never would have even restarted the work if it had not been for the Lord, the word of the Lord through Haggai. For he called them to start building again. And surely it was the promises through Zechariah that they would complete the work that carried them forward. But zooming out to an even bigger picture, recall this is the same Spirit of God who hovered over the waters of creation. And even then, how did God create the world? He created by means of a spoken word. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And so it was with the building of the temple. His spirit was working powerfully through the word. And by his spirit, the temple was built. As Haggai and Zechariah powerfully proclaimed the word of God, this was working in the hearts of Israel. For at this time, they were straying from their God. But his word would bring repentance, that they might return to the Lord and the Lord would return to them. 
then having returned to the Lord, they would then be strengthened by the preaching of the word, strengthened, encouraged, and equipped for the great undertaking of building the temple. And the application for today is quite clear. For God continues to work in the same way today. He calls ministers to proclaim his word. And he accompanies the preaching of his word with his spirit to apply it to the hearts of all those who hear. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And as the gospel goes forth through the preaching of the word, Christ is building his church, the one true living temple of God on earth. And what is the oil that must be flowing in our veins if we are to be a living and functioning church today? We must be filled with the Holy Spirit as he is poured out on us by Christ. We also know that the Spirit accompanies God's word. He works through the word. And so we must have our hearts and our minds filled with God's word. It is this word which is breathed out by God, which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. And so as Christ continues to build his church, the temple of God, he does so by his word and spirit. He is building and we are his instruments. And we cannot do this in our own strength. We must use the spiritual means to build a spiritual temple. And these means are God's spirit and his word. If you would be useful in this task, you must depend on God in prayer and be filled with his word and spirit. Zerubbabel built a physical temple, but we, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so, let us, like Zerubbabel, devote ourselves to this task with the sure knowledge that our Lord Jesus Christ will be successful in completing his temple. Let us do this knowing that Christ is always with us by his spirit, that he speaks to us through his word, and he strengthens us as we depend on him in prayer. Christ's holy temple will be completed, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious vision that you granted to your servant, Zechariah, this vision of the lampstand, the blazing light, and the promise that you are with your people. Even as you were with your people in the Old Testament, so we give you thanks that you are always with us now by your Spirit. And so we pray that you would, even today, fill us with your Spirit and comfort us with that knowledge that you are always with us. We also pray that as we have heard your word this morning, you would strengthen us by it and that you would help us to respond to it rightly, that you would strengthen our hands to do this good work of building up 
your church, building up one another by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, speaking to one another with the good news that we have received, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Help us to walk away today encouraged and strengthened by your word and by your spirit. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.